we need to record this trash right now because you came already with the haterade. I came wearing the Golden State Warriors t-shirt so this podcast could be anointed in the name of Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) It's about time because we're going there. Hi, friends. As you heard, the guest that we have on today's show unfortunately does not like the Lakers as much as I do, but you want to know something? You can't win them all. What I love about my friend Hosanna is today we get to have a conversation about knowing who you are. One of the things that I have seen her model out in her life and what she's passionate about is that she wants to drill this concept into the head, the mind, and the heart of so many people out there is that you can know who you really are every single day. Have you ever felt like everything is against you knowing who you really are? Well, you're not crazy. Since we were born, we've been told the lies of the enemy of telling us who we are and who we're not. If you're a person of faith, you might be familiar that we have an enemy and he's the father of lies. From conception, he hopes that you believe that you are unseen, unworthy, and yes, not even good enough. Why is that? Because he knows if you know who you are, it will empower you to live your life to the fullest. While Jesus was on this earth, he lived a lifestyle of rhythms and grace that helped him face the lies of the enemy. And through his habits and through his discipline, Hosanna is going to walk us through on what it means to literally identify who we are. In this season, we've been focusing on resilience, on grit, on overcoming. And Hosanna is not just a spoken word artist and an author. She's also a real friend of mine. I love her to bits and pieces. What I love most about her is that she pulls no punches. There is no fluff. She brings a fresh approach to an ancient discipline called spiritual disciplines. And she really walks us through practical ways to stay connected to Jesus on the everyday. I love that I get to have an honest and real conversation with her. I know her heart and I know that her heart is to help people. So I hope this podcast is inspiring to you and not just inspiring, but it transforms you to get into the spiritual rhythms, the spiritual disciplines that were not only modeled by Jesus, but that can be applied to our life every single day. Let's hop into the interview. Hi friends. If you're listening to this podcast, I know that you like podcasts and there's one that I want to tell you about. If you've ever had questions about politics or maybe feel like politics feel a little funny when having conversations with loved ones, I have two friends, Michael and Melissa Ware. They both work in politics and I met Michael at a conference when he was a lead strategist and European affairs specialist that broke down politics in a way that was so easy for me to understand. And now he has a podcast called Where We Are. Mondays through Thursdays, Michael shares The Morning Five, a five-minute episode featuring current news and events in the political realm in a consumable and easy-to-understand way. I hope you check it out. It's helped me understand the world a little bit more, and I know it'll help you too. You're going to do a spoken word intro, right? I am. I'm You're going to rhyme? I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> There'll be a few bars. All right. I'll drop some bars, drop some moments. No, Hosanna, I am so excited that you're on the podcast. Thank you for saying yes. I'm pumped. I can't wait. How many hours do we get um, to do 72. this for people? We have 72 hours for this episode and it's going to be amazing. Everyone's going to listen. I mean, this is this is literally the longest podcast in podcast history. That's where, That's the goal we're going for today. <laughs> Perfect. Lots of important, powerful things have happened in three days. Well, here's the thing. What people don't understand is that we are not just like nice because we're speaking to each other in a podcast, but we're actually legit friends. So this can go in yeah. a myriad of different directions. But this we is what have I, no idea. I, this is what I want to say. I remember, like we had met in passing a couple times, but one of my favorite memories early on in our relationship, you know what I'm going to say? No, but I'm excited. Okay. Do you remember, if I'm if my memory serves me correct, I believe it was in San Antonio, Texas. 
you and I are staying at a Hyatt that was so like Texas themed. I mean, literally like wagon wheel at the entryway. And we both spoke at an event and you did a spoken word piece that I still remember to this day. And I'm going to get to that in a second. You did a spoken word piece and I loved it. And then you and I and Whitney met up for chips and salsa at the, the like the late lounge bar area after we both <laughs> yeah. administered and we were talking about ministry. We were talking about life. We were talking about what it means to be a woman in ministry. Do you remember this conversation? Yes, I remember that. And I think I'm yes. still permanently scarred because the chips that we ate were like red, green, blue, and white. And I'm like, oh. I, why do people do this? Why do people put colors on tortilla chips? <laughs> <laughs> That's another podcast. That's another podcast for another day. But I say all that because you – spoke over the room. There's like, I don't know, a thousand, 2000 people in the room. And you spoke the spoken word that I still remember to this day. I have a new name. And it was the first time that I had heard it and that I heard it live. And it just hit like the room changing as a feeler. I mean, the atmosphere completely shifted and changed. And we're going to talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do, but I just feel like this is so seminal and this is where I want to start is because there's so many people out there that feel like they can't identify their voice because they don't know who they are. What is their name? And so much of what you do when you speak this truth, truth over us in the spoken word format is this concept and idea that God is speaking names over us. And so I want to start here. You wrote the spoken word piece. Actually, I want to know the genesis of it. When did you write it? What were you going through? What were you seeing? And where did this come from? Why Why this? Yeah. Well, it came out of one of the most painful seasons of my life. I forgot who I was. I lost who I was. We had a season, my husband Guy and I had a season of intense loss, uh, relationally, financially, physically. Um, We had felt like God called us to invest all of our family savings into a project and it ended up falling through. Mm. And I think a lot of people might be able to relate to a season like this when the people you thought would stay don't when the people you thought would defend you don't. And because of all of the things that I had put my identity in Mm. and found my security in started to crumble, I completely lost who I was. And I would even say a lot of those things were good things. You know, they were things that were good, relationships, your ministry, security. They were good things, but they became God things. And when I put them in place of God and the ground began to shake, I completely lost who I was because my foundation wasn't on the right things. And my t- husband will tell you, I wasn't myself. I I was a shell of who I once was. And Lisa Bevere, our mutual friend, <laughs> yes. I had just met her. I did not know her. I just had met her at an event. She was very kind to me. We exchanged numbers. And while I was in a season of defeat, not talking to God, not talking to people, not saying yes to what I felt God was calling me to do, she called me. And she, my phone rings and I'm like, Lisa Bevere, oh my gosh, I forgot I gave this woman my number. Like I for sure shouldn't answer this call because this is going to be, this is going to be rough to tell her the season I'm going through. And she said, God puts you on my heart and I've called to tell you this. And she said this to me, I'll never forget it. She said, trials have the power to transform you from who you are into who you long to be. But somewhere along the way, you learned the lie that you could be a hero without engaging in a battle. And she said, you're going to have to fight. 
And I realized that I had given up the fight for my mind and the Mm. fight for my life and the fight for my identity. I wasn't in the word of God. I wasn't getting real with God in prayer. I wasn't Mm. confessing my sins. I wasn't stretching my heart to actually be available to community. There were all these things that I was not doing. And so I had a fight, really fight to spend real time with God, real one-on-one time with God. And so I started to get into his word and get real with him in prayer and going out of my way to be in the word and be in prayer, even when I did not feel like it. And then I started memorizing names that God gave me. Yeah, I realized that the voices I was listening to would just be the voices I would start answering to. And I needed to know who I really was, something more stable than what I was feeling that day, <laughs> something more stable than what I was feeling, something more stable than what circumstances were bringing me. So I started memorizing the name that God gave me. And then I wrote this spoken word piece, I have a new name that at the time was just for me, for me to declare names. And and that spoken word piece really is 80% from the word of God. It's That's it's what I was about to say. I love it. Yep. Yeah. It's names <laughs> that God gives. I know you have a, a holy crush on Paul and uh, it's mostly verses from the New Testament about yeah. what God says about us. Mm. And um, as I started to know what God said about yeah. me, I started to know who I really was. And that's where the peace kind of came from. I love Um, it. Just, yeah. I love that you rooted this back into the word of God. And this season on the podcast, we're talking uh, to resilient people about things that they had to be resilient about. And um, one of the things that I just feel that is so seminal to not just your spoken word pieces, but your preaching. I've seen you develop as not just an artist, but now as a preacher and a communicator of the word of God. And it's so beautiful just how you like bake everything back into what the Bible says. Look at bake Bible back. I mean, all this alliteration is the preacher in me. Oh my gosh. Okay. So <laughs> with I'm Bianca. With Bianca. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Little alliteration in the nation. You ain't the only hip hop rapper here, honey. Okay. <laughs> I can see, I can see on what we're recording. It says beehive. And did I you get like, that? You okay. got that reference. Yes. Yes, yes. you did. <laughs> I'm ready for a little freestyle battle at any point. Part two. Part two. I love it. I love it. Okay. So I, like I said, I go back and I know you and a little bit about your story, but I think one of the things that we both kind of like clicked on is though our ethnicities are different and where we grew up and even our basketball teams and our affinity for our basketball teams are different. (laughs) There is this, this thread, this vein, this current that both runs through us. And I think that that nitty gritty, that realness about us is the fact that we were both raised in urban environments and you speak so much, you fought so hard to identify your name, this new name that God has spoken to you. But tell me a little bit about your background. Have you ever had a moment when you were young where maybe the lies of a neighbor or the lies of a parent or the lies of a teacher or the lies of a coach maybe put an identity on you that was not meant for you to carry? And then how how does it stick with you into adulthood? Yeah, for sure. I know. I feel like we have so much in common in that way, just even with like our parents' backgrounds, Yeah, you know, and having like different, coming from urban environments and also just feeling like, man, wanting people to be real and honest Mm -hmm. about their stories and Mm -hmm. not cover up the mess of people's lives because- it shows off the power of God when we show how he can actually interact in real people's lives. So I know that was one of the first things that made us be like, oh, oh, this ain't just a coworker. (laughs) Like this is, this is my people. Oh my goodness. This is my, so, but I, I really feel like um, growing up, you know, my background is my dad was a heroin addict who Mm. fought in a gang and someone introduced him to Jesus and Jesus changed his whole life. And then he ended up starting an outreach to those 
living without homes and battling with addictions on the streets of San Francisco. And that's how I grew up. And that's where I learned that Jesus could save anyone's soul and redeem anyone's story. And it's also where I learned the art of spoken word poetry. All my Mm. friends on the streets did it. Everyone did some kind of freestyling or hip hop. So it wasn't unique. It was very common. And I think at the time I would have said that this is you know, not the kind of thing that God uses to share about him. Like I probably would have thought it was less than or lame, but I think now that I've gotten older, I see how really the thing you have in common with the people in your life is one of the most powerful things in the world. The open door, the catalyst to open up your life and reveal God's love through your real story. So now I think that's a powerful thing. So I just shared, you know, spoken word poetry with my friends. And then when my dad passed away, when I was 18 years old, I didn't know how I was going to share about Jesus. The only thing I knew how to do, because I didn't have my dad's testimony or my dad's obvious talent or his ministry, but I could do spoken word poetry with all my friends. So at first I was just doing spoken word poetry um, with all my friends because it's what we had in common. And I, for a long time, like growing up, I felt a lot of names. Growing up, I already heard a lot of lies about myself, that I was not enough because my dad was not enough. Our ministry was not enough. Mm. Our family was not enough. Um, We were too different. I was the only Chinese girl in my class growing up. I remember doing my eye makeup in a certain way to try to make my eyes look bigger. (laughs) I remember trying to hide my leftovers at lunch to try to like hide the food I was bringing to school. And I don't know how much of it was said directly to me or how much I assumed, Mm. but growing up, I felt like I don't look like people. My story is not like other people. I am not enough. And so I kept trying to shape shift myself to fit into what I presumed was the mold just to be accepted. And so I think that was through multiple voices and some voices in my own head, um, growing up thinking, how can I change who I am to be more accepted? But then when I started talking about Jesus, talking about Jesus through spoken word poetry or through preaching This lie continued into my adult life, and then I started changing who I was in order to be effective. When I first started traveling, I wasn't preaching yet. I was doing spoken word poetry, and there were some leaders who I believe wanted to see me succeed. I believe they wanted to see me be used by God in the places I felt called to, but they were misinformed. And they said to me early on, they said, we think your background will stand in the way of God using you in the places <gasps> and spaces you feel called to. Oh, really? Perhaps you shouldn't go by the last name Wong. We think that's going to be a roadblock for you in the places of the church you feel called to. And I believed them. And I spent the beginning years of my spoken word ministry watering down the details of my background, my dad's no. background, my past, my heritage. And if people had known my spoken word ministry 12 years ago, they wouldn't have known me as Hosanna Wong. I went by a pen name, Hosanna Poetry. It was That's right. One oh my gosh, way. I remember that. Yeah. I didn't know that was a backstory. And now you're like, ni hao ma she she ni, okay? Gung hei fat choy, okay? Happy Chinese New Year. She wants some dim sum in the presence of God. Um, but it was just one oh, way. But it wow. wasn't like, I don't think at the time I thought it was like a lie from the enemy. It was something I thought was maybe strategic. Maybe Whoa. if I can change a little bit about myself, mm. a little bit about my story, a little bit about my look, if I could look like the other people I see, if I can talk talk like the other people I see, maybe then I can be accepted and effective 
in the places and spaces I feel called to. I think mm. this is a part of God's mission. I think this is a part of helping God's church. And what I've learned now is that that is a lie the enemy hopes mm. we all believe, mm-hmm. that our story is not enough, that our background's not enough, that our heritage is not enough. The enemy hopes that we believe all these lies. So we spend our lives trying to compare ourselves to other people, water down who we really are, because the enemy knows. Mm. That if we knew the power of our position and the power of our story and the power of our background, if we knew that the details of our lives are the exact things God wants to use in this exact moment of time, we would be the greatest threat to his plan. Come on. Because it is actually us being who we are and telling our real stories that's going to reveal who God really is. And so for me... It has taken me years to heal from the lies that I have heard and also to, you know, confess and repent from the ways I have also perpetuated those lies mm-hmm. by me trying to look like somebody else other than myself or talk like someone else other than myself and to learn the truth about what God says about us. It's a lifelong mm-hmm. journey. You're passionate about people finding their identity in Christ. You're passionate about people abiding under the shadow of the Almighty if we want to be all spiritual. But like, um, I know that you're passionate about spiritual disciplines and I want to get into that in a second. But I I was raised in church, grown up in church, and now you and I do a lot of ministry in churches and specifically within like women's ministry, a lot of women's ministry opportunities. And we're always hearing about like our identity in Christ, our identity in Christ. And I feel like that's almost been like... What's the word, like a tagline for women, like discovering your identity in Christ. But what does that actually mean? Right. And I want you to kind of unpack that a little bit because I want to get into spiritual disciplines, but I don't think this is, this is me and my two cents. I'm not too sure that we will adequately walk in the disciplines of what it means to be a follower of Christ unless we know who we are. So it starts with identity. So talk to me a little bit about um, our identity in Christ. What does it actually mean? And how do we discover that? Yes. I love that you said that because I think that's the quick, easy answer a lot of people will say. Oh, I'm going through an identity crisis. I don't know who I am, so I don't Mm -hmm. know how to live. And then people would say, kind-hearted, well-meaning people will say, your identity is in Christ. All you have to do is abide in Christ. And I'm here like, (laughs) okay, yes, I'm in. I believe it. I declare it. But can someone please show me how? Yeah. Like I need more than a feel-good message. I need practical tools. And this is something that changed my life. As I've been going through this healing journey of healing from the lies I heard growing up and the lies I've heard and believed and perpetuated as an adult, as I'm trying to heal from these lies and know who I really am, how do I know who I am and live like it? What does it mean that my identity is in Christ and how can I actually abide? And you will love this. So this has actually changed my life, a new way to see abiding in Christ. It was from one of my girlfriends who has uh, worked in vineyards. Um, She has worked in Paso Robles, New Zealand, Temecula, up and down the West Coast, and Oregon and California. And I was in this season, I wonder if you've ever felt this way, just disconnected from myself and disconnected from God. I believe in God, but I just feel so disconnected. And so I call my girlfriend, who's not even a Jesus person yet, and I knew she wouldn't give me the churchy answer. She would give me like the agricultural answer because we get this verse about abiding in Christ from John 15, right? Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear great fruit. Apart from me, you will bear nothing. You will. And, and, and I'm thinking, man, okay, how do I abide practically? And so I call my friend and I say, hey, I need to know a little bit more about branches and vines. 
I feel so disconnected. There's this verse in the Bible about how Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. All we have to do is be connected to him, stay connected to him, abide, but I'm having some trouble. Can you explain to me anything about the relationship between branches and vines? Can you explain anything to me? Is all the branches need to live is to be connected to the vine? And she said this to me and it changed my life. And she said, technically, yes, all the branches need to live is to be connected to the vine, but without a trellis, without a structure, Mm -hmm. the branches will spend their lives constantly weighed down and they will fight an uphill battle. They do not have to fight. And it spoke to me so much. I thought, that's me. I feel so weighed down. And she said, yes, all the branches need to live is to be connected to the vine. But if they don't have a structure, if they don't have a trellis, they're going to carry weights they weren't meant to carry. Eventually, they will grow disconnected from themselves and disconnected from the vine. So you need a structure. And I realized that in my spiritual life, I needed a structure. I needed to reclaim structure in my life and I needed a trellis. And that is where these spiritual disciplines came in for me realizing, why do I feel so weighed down? Why do I feel so disconnected from God? The Bible says, all I need to do is abide. I need to just be connected to the vine. And the reason why I'm feeling just so disconnected is because I have no structure in my life to help me be connected to Jesus and stay connected to Jesus. And I want to talk about these spiritual disciplines because what I ended up doing was kind of researching the behind the scenes life of Jesus, Mm -hmm. um, researching what rhythms Jesus had in private that helped him know who he was and live as who he was in public and try to take rhythms from Jesus himself. But this is one of the things that has really, really transformed my relationship with God and helped me reconnect is realizing that these spiritual disciplines are not what save you. Yeah, I think some of us (laughs) were raised in religious traditions where we were told, man, you need to abide in Christ. You have to read your Bible this much or pray this much or go to church this much, otherwise you're not saved. And we have to remember that the trellis, the structure, there's no life in the trellis. Mm -hmm. There's no life in the structure. It's a stick. It's a wooden stick. The best function it does is to help you stay connected to the vine. Mm -hmm. The spiritual disciplines are not the source of life. You do not get life from the spiritual disciplines. You do not get life from the structure. You only get life from the source, which is Jesus Christ. The spiritual disciplines are not the point. They are a means to an end. And the point is to have a real one-on-one relationship with Jesus. And this is where I feel like our conversation is going to pivot from being very personal to very practical. Because you've taken us on this journey. I mean, literally, you've been fighting for your identity since you were young. And you've been fighting for identity in culture and also in Christianity, which is a little ironic. And now you've gone through this. You've, you have a trellis, if you will. And you're saying that when we abide in the vine, that's where the true life is. But the trellis helps us build systems and structures to make sure that we're abiding and we ain't going all crooked, all wayward. You know, the trellis helps keep us upright. Upright. That's what I'm hearing. Now, I know that you know this. I think you might know this that my husband, Matt, is a level three sommelier. So when you were talking about abiding, when you were talking about a trellis, when you were talking about the vine, I'm like, oh, honey, yes, yes, you were preaching. You were agriculturally. preaching right now. So there's a couple disciplines. When we talk about spiritual disciplines for somebody who is not a person of faith or maybe 
are new to this journey or maybe have been raised in church but have never heard about this thing called spiritual disciplines. This is actually mirroring what we see Jesus do in his own life. But can you, there's a couple that we can talk about. There's one that I specifically want to talk about. But what were some of the rhythms that Jesus did in his life to connect with God that you are advocating for in our own spiritual a spiritual relationship and spiritual disciplines for us to connect with God as well? What are a couple of those? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think for some people, if you're new to the faith or you're checking out this Jesus thing, you might be like, okay, what does this mean? Like a structure, but we have structures for other goals in our lives. You want to run a marathon. You want to be a cook. Okay. Like Queen Bianca here. Okay. You want to, you want to be a basketball star like Hosanna. Okay. No. But when you have any goal in your life, you want to read more. You want to run a marathon. You want to host a lot of people. You create structures in your life, right? Yeah. People that are the best at their craft as a musician or an athlete. They have the time they wake up in the day. They have the way they practice. They have structures in their life. They have a lifestyle in private that helps them do what they want to do in public. Mm -hmm. And so we do have structures and trellises in our life for other goals. And if your goal is to connect with God and connect with who you really are, we're talking about having a structure for yourself spiritually as well. Mm -hmm. And so the four that have really transformed my life and reconnected me with God and with myself and with my other relationships in a way I didn't know were possible for, one is a rhythm of scripture, a new way to engage with God's Great. words, not Great. just read your Bible longer, yep. faster, yeah. right? But what is the way that you can actually engage yes. with God's words to yes. know what your creator says about you? Um, a rhythm of scripture. The second is a rhythm of prayer. Um, for some of us, we've prayed most of our lives, you know, and it could be casual and it could be, um, you know, lots of different ways, but three specific ways of prayer that have really transformed my life are solitude, specific prayers, and saying thanks, going out of my way to mm -hmm. find those pauses mm -hmm. in my life, going out of my way to write down and pray specific prayers, mm -hmm. and also um, saying thanks, making time in my schedule, in my structure, in my monthly routines for elongated time with God where I'm just giving Him thanks and being grateful for what He's already done. The third is a rhythm of rest. And that is by far one of the hardest and least natural for wait, me. Wait, wait. Okay, so we're going to put a pin on this. We're going to put a pin on this because I have to – I'm like on a cliffhanger. And I, if you say that there's four things that you want to talk about, I have to know the fourth. But we're going to put a pin on rest because yes. that's where I kind of want to spend a little bit more time because I've been on this Sabbath oh, journey. Yes. And I think you and I have – I know, I know. Can you Yes, really, of course. Both of you course. and I are like realizing – because we both have been road warriors. We've both have been – we've been speaking a lot. We've been traveling a lot. Like we've been creating content a lot. And yeah. I think one of the spiritual disciplines that I have ignored co coincidentally or conveniently has been rest and Sabbath. But okay, what's the fourth one? The fourth one is a rhythm of real community. Okay. And to break that down in two practical ways, it's finding time and ways for confession and finding time and ways for celebration. Ooh, How can like you have real community? Yeah. Confession, getting real. I mean, that's really where we, you and I connected really quickly because we went we there did. real yeah. fast. Yeah. It was like, hey, let's can we get real about a couple things? Mm -hmm. And we always are when we're together. But also celebration, which is something I know you practice in your life. Mm -hmm. And I hope to be better 
as well. You do that with your local church. You do that. You do that with your people. And for so many, I mean, Dallas Willard says a lot about how the church has kind of lost this mm-hmm. as a spiritual discipline because we think it's too hedonistic to ever have pleasure or enjoy. <laughs> but how really it's something Jesus exemplified. So when I say real community, I don't mean just get plugged into a small group, which you should but also to have real one-on-one confession and real um, celebration. So that's my last one. But I'm stoked that we're going to talk about rest together because I think you and I might have this in common. I bet you out of these four, there's one that's maybe easier for both of us. And I bet you, and and that's not one for me. Like, I bet you there's one out of these four. I was like, oh, that's kind of easier for me. Oh, the legalist in me? Well, I can tell you right now. It's scripture. Oh, I can read scripture. (laughs) I am the one-year Bible. I've gone through the one-year Bible eight times. Yes, I have. Yeah, because that one's easy for me. What Where I'm failing, where I have failed has been rest and Sabbath. Okay, so I taught taught about this recently at church. And I know we're going to be talking about it on the podcast as well for this season. Because part of resiliency is we are resilient when we do rest. If you look at yeah. the first, like the prefix of R-E-S, it's this rest, resilient, it's this rest, it's at the same root word. So um, mm. in our Christian nomenclature, we would use the word Sabbath because it was given to us by God and it's a gift yeah. and it's where we are renewed and restored and reacquainted, not just with ourselves, but with God. But talk to me a little bit about your Sabbath practices or what you're learning about it. And then I have one last question that I have to ask, but what does Sabbath and rest look like for you in this season? Oh my gosh. Okay. What does Sabbath look like for me in this season? Well, one of the biggest things that I want to tell people is that your Sabbath might not look like my Sabbath. Mm. And me and Bianca's Sabbaths don't look like each other's. And I think for so long, Sabbath was something that though God commanded it and Jesus demonstrated it, and even though it helps us get back onto rhythm to the lives we were created to live, for me, I kind of avoided it or ignored it because I think everyone in my life who was very passionate about Sabbath had such a very strict, specific way mm-hmm. that they did it. Yeah. And it was just like, if you can't do it exactly like them, you know, <laughs> turn off your phone at this time of day and turn it back on at this time of day and your whole family does this together every week exactly this way. It was tied up with like a lot of shame and guilt. And Jesus also came to set us free from guilt and shame. <laughs> and so... I was struggling with what it meant as a spiritual discipline. But when I looked at the life of Jesus and what he really says about rest and how we are not meant to serve the Sabbath, but Sabbath serves us, me and my husband had to come to a place which was, okay, maybe we have ideal ways we would like to observe Sabbath, but in our actual life season right now, how can we rest? Mm. Like, how can we now? Because we cannot keep saying we want to follow Jesus and yet refuse to live the way that he called us to live. We can't keep saying that we follow Jesus, but not follow the lifestyle he had and showed us how to be in rhythm with God. And I realized I cannot Sabbath like these eight friends of mine Sabbath, but for (laughs) me and my husband to reclaim rest and to to have some healing in our lives and our ministry and our marriage. How are we going to rest? And so what it looks like practically for us, it does not look like the same day every week. And I'm willing I'm willing to be wrong about this. I'm willing for people <laughs> to not like this because this has changed my marriage and my relationship with God and my lens of the world that we are having weekly rest, even though it can't be the same day every week. So me and my husband don't have the same schedule every week. And I don't have even the same schedule from week to week. You and I both, you know, we Mm -hmm. serve a lot of communities. We serve a lot of local churches and we travel quite a bit. So what my husband and I do is at the beginning of the month, We look at the rest of our month and say, what days are we able to Sabbath every week? How can we have 24 hours to not get ahead, to stop doing, to 
rest, yeah. to enjoy, to delight in God and the life we already have so that we are not slaves to the conveyor belt of doing, 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 finding our identity, what we do or what we produce or getting ahead. How can we stop and say we depend on God? How can we stop and say we are loved without doing one thing? And that has changed my life. And so that's practically how my husband and I practice Sabbath. Beginning of the month, we look at the month and it's this week, it's a Friday. This week, okay, that's going to be a Saturday. This week, oh, shoot, for two weeks, I'm not in town Friday and Saturday. So these two weeks, it's Mondays. I love that. And that has really trans. It's made us actually rest, if that makes sense, by not yeah. trying to have um, meet somebody else's standard, but to do what we believe the Bible says about a weekly rest. Um, it's really just transformed our lives to now minister and love people, but not doing it to find our value. And love that. That has changed our lives. What about you? How do you practically practice Sabbath? Like you, I, the people who I saw practicing Sabbath, it was almost like nouveau legalism. And so it yeah. just, and as someone who really values like fun and celebration, the idea of like, you know, we sit down and we have a candlelight dinner on Friday night at 6 p.m. And I couldn't go to football games in high school or something like that. It just all felt very foreign. So I was like, eh, nah, I don't really like Sabbath. Now as an adult <laughs> I'm, and doing research and studying and like reading stuff by John Mark Homer and having conversations with oh, yeah. Annie Downs. These are two big, very like committed people to Sabbath. Uh, yeah. If you can whittle down Sabbath to its core, it's celebrating and thanking God for who he is and celebrating and thanking God for the life that I have. And if I do that in my, on my Sabbath day, if I do that on my Sabbath day, then I have Sabbath. Um, for, for some people it's like, you know, from one night to another night for some people, it's like a day because I like love and live by my calendar. I actually set up my calendar from like nine to five and I treat it like it's my job. So I might have to mm. check email in the morning, but then I know, and my assistant knows, and even my husband knows like, nope, I'm not doing anything. It's actually like a whole window in my day. I, yeah. my, my Sabbath will almost always include a workout because that is part of resting for me. It cleans my yeah. mind. It clear, it clears my calendar. So I usually have like a workout, uh, usually read some sort of like leisure enjoyment reading and I get to do something that's like fun. Sometimes fun yeah. is just taking a nap or sometimes fun is going to a movie with Matt. Sometimes fun is, you know, having a date or hanging out with my family, but it, I treat it as if it's my job because it's a command from God that yeah. I want to take really, really seriously. So I'm in Well, I love way. that. And it's so true that if we don't plan for it, like oh, exactly. if you don't plan for something you will enjoy, oh, exactly. if you don't have a structure, a exactly. trellis in your life, if then you are going to be carrying weights you weren't exactly. meant to carry, then you'll get disconnected from Bianca. Then you're just a working machine. Oh yeah. And now you're just some defined by what you oh, do, yeah. but you're not actually connected to God and yourself. And there's a couple of questions I ask myself too. Like, what do I need to stop getting ahead in? I can't keep saying my whole to-do list has to be done before I can rest. My whole to-do oh, list has right. to be done before I will. obey God. Yeah. There's always a to-do list. Yep. And I have to think like, what do I need to, what's a place of fatigue for me that I need to stop? What's something that is hard for me to do that causes me drainage that I have to stop doing? Um, I love John Mark. I love Annie Downs. Another uh, a mutual friend we have is Jess Connolly. And we were talking about Sabbath, about how can we practically do it in our real lives? And she said this to me and I loved it. She said, I think there's some people who a great place of fatigue for them, like something that really drains them is washing dishes. And to those people, People, I say in the name of Jesus, your Sabbath needs to have paper plates. And I was like, <laughs> yes, in the name of 
name of Jesus. I love it. But just thinking about what drains me and don't do it, and then what fills me and actively scheduling to do that. So my husband and I plan for Sabbath like it's the best day of the week. If planning things drains us, if scheduling a reservation drains us, then we do that before our Sabbath. We planned earlier in the week. So we good. made the dinner reservation. We yeah. got excited. We're looking forward to it. And it's just um, really just helped me not carry these weights I'm not meant to carry and really helped me to abide, to be connected and stay connected to Jesus. Ugh, and so I love however that. it looks for you, you got to do it. Yes. But you don't have to do it the way I do it or the way Bianca does it. I love it. So, okay. So I listened to this podcast and it's a therapist that I absolutely am besotted with. Her name is Esther Perel, and she's actually a clinical psychologist and psychotherapist, and um, she's done extensive work on uh, self and self-development, and she says that we change and morph every seven years. So one wow. of her podcasts is on um, for married couples, and she says you have to be intentional about falling in love with your spouse every seven years because you change every seven years. And so that's got oh me gosh. thinking, and I want to end the podcast with this. If you can go back to the person you were seven years ago, because the person you are today was not the person that you were seven years ago. If you can go back to her, what would you tell her about oh spiritual gosh. disciplines okay. and what God is showing you for this season? I have never heard that before, first of all. But do you know, okay, I'm sorry, I'm like live processing while we're recording. But sorry, this is what happens when you listen to two friends talk to each other. But I have never heard that. I wrote I Have a New Name seven years ago. <gasps> oh, I have chills. I've got chills. Oh, my God. Seven oh years God. ago this August, seven years ago, I wrote I Have a New Name. Yeah. And I will tell you the spiritual healing journey I've gone on these past seven years, like I – I am a different person. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So okay, I'm like wait. live processing this what is, you're this saying is, this to me is right perfect. now. This is why I love podcasting with friends. Okay, <laughs> okay. So seven years ago, you said, August seven years ago, you wrote, I have a, a new name. Seven yeah. years later, August 8th, you have a book coming out entitled, You Are More Than You've Been Told. Let me tell yeah. you something. If Dr. Esther Perel is not a prophet, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I literally don't know who is. But so we're talking about like psychology. We're also talking about like, yes. Okay. So because you're talking about trellis, this is going to be, I'm giving you fodder now. So, uh, I know. Wow. It, listen to this. So every seven years, the ground must follow and rest. So if you go to France and you go to the vineyards, you will yeah. see amongst like overgrown and beautiful flourishing vines, you will see a hectare, which is like a, what we would consider in America a lot. You would see a lot that was empty, a hectare that is empty. And what are they doing? They're letting the ground rest because there's nutrients that are being sent back into the soil. There's uh, microbiomes that are in there so that when things are replanted, there's new things that grow. So seven years ago, you were experiencing what felt like a death. Seven right. years later, you're experiencing the fruit of everything yeah. that the Lord has done in your life. Hosanna, I am so excited for you. And as we wrap up the show, what would you tell yourself in a sentence? What would you okay, tell the yourself? The truth is, the truth is, is I would say, and I hate, I hate that this goes so well, but I'm just live processing this. But I, I would truly say to her, you are more than you've been told. Ooh. I would truly say that to her. And I love that it's seven years later. I did not know how holy of a number that would end up being along with psychology and all the dreams. But the very first sentence of my book is, I am not the same person. And my husband looked back at me and he said, I know. 
And it's really like this moment mm -hmm. that I want to bring people into of you can have a line in the sand moment, even if you've been told lies your whole life, yeah. something your mom so said good. to you, something your dad never said to you, something culture has told you or lies you've told yourself. Here are the ways to reconnect with who you really are. You can also look at the person closest to you and say, I'm not the same person. But I guess I wish I would have told, been, someone could have told me seven years ago, you are more than you've been told. Um, not just the people who said negative things to you, but also maybe the people you look up to, your heroes, some of the lies you've told yourself that you have to yeah. be like them to that. obey God. Like you are more than you've been told. Mm. And if I could tell myself anything, it would be what I want to tell people today. You deserve to stop seeing yourself through the broken lens of other people. Mm. When you start to see yourself through the lens of God, you will discover who you really are and who you've been all along. And the truth is that you were loved all along. Oh, girl, this is where we get to end the podcast. Hosanna Wong, you are not only a sister and a friend, you are a profound thinker and creative and preacher and teacher of God's word. I'm so excited for this book. We both have book babies coming out in August and I'm honored and privileged to share a book baby birthday with you. <laughs> and um, I'm so it. excited for this book to be in the hands of so many people. The link to order the book and uh, get incentives and all the other stuff, whether they uh, shop directly on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Starter.com or wherever people buy their fine books. I'm so excited for people to get more information, not just about you, but about the books that you are writing. I love you, friend. I'm so proud of you. And uh, I can't wait to cheers in real life with you. Same. I love you so much, friend. Thanks for having me. Let's go warriors. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> that might have to get de deleted. <laughs> Well, friends, as promised, Hosanna has given us practical, tangible handles on how to live life and getting a grasp of who God has called us to be and rooting ourselves in our truest identity. This season, as you might know, I have a book called Grit Don't Quit. I am sharing this resource with this part of my digital family because I believe that this resource can really change your life. You can order Grit Don't Quit on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, or wherever you buy books. I'm excited to put this resource in your hands because I do believe that us accomplishing and achieving what God has called us to do requires a sense of grittiness. And if you are part of this podcast family, one thing I know about you is that you are gritty. You are willing to step into hard situations and not give up. Yes, we have moments where we feel like giving up, but don't worry. I wanted to make understanding what grit is and how to build grit so that we can become resilient when life hurts, when traumas, trials, and tribulation come our way. And this resource is for you. You can go ahead and click the link in the show notes to get your copy and also a bunch of free gifts that I'm giving away this season as well. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I can't wait to dive in next week to hear some more wisdom, some amazing people to help us hold on to what it means to not give up, persevere, and be resilient. <laughs>